Hello, John Schuler. How are you doing today? Brandon Gore, I am doing fantastic, buddy. Fantastic. How about you? Well, my adrenaline is still up. I almost got in a fist fight with the Amazon delivery guy a little bit earlier today. Uh, we no, live on a my, my driveway, which Did is on my really? yeah. Let me tell you about what happened. My driveway, which is on my property, but it, it connects. We have an easement for my neighbors. I have three neighbors down my road that goes through my property, right? Okay. So they get Amazon deliveries, as do I, pretty much daily. But you know, my driveway—it's a gravel driveway. I maintain it. I you know pay whatever a couple thousand bucks a year to get new gravel put down. I, I groom it. I keep it nice. But these delivery drivers go like 80 miles an hour down our driveway and it kicks up a ton of dust. But my little dogs are out here. I take them out to go to the bathroom. My little girls play out here. It's super dangerous. And only that, they put up a huge plume of dust that covers everything. So it's super annoying. So anyways, my wife's been noticing that this Amazon, it's like a, it's like one of these uh, companies that get subbed out by Amazon. So it's a budget like minivan that has like an Amazon sticker on the side. So she okay. notices this guy drives like a maniac, like seriously, like 80 miles an hour. No joke. I'm not exaggerating. Like 80 miles an hour down this road that you should be going 10 miles an hour on, right? He comes flying down it. So if my dogs were out here and they just happened to walk out, he would kill him in a second. But so this morning I'm over at my shop. I'm in my truck. I'm backing up to the garage door and I see this van like drift into my driveway. Like he makes a turn going like 30 miles an hour drifts in like sideways and like steps on the accelerator and guns it like again like 80 miles an hour I'm like oh my god this dude so when he's coming back I pull up next to him I pull down the driveway I'm like turning out of my window I'm like and he's a young dude like 22 years old with a beard but like this little chubby dude rolls on the window and I'm like hey dude slow down on my driveway and he's like there's no speed limit I said yeah there's no speed limit oh what an idiot I was like, yeah. I was like, well, I got little kids and I got little dogs that are always out here playing. So slow down when you drive down my driveway. And he's starting to hand me my package. He has a package for me. Starts handing it to me. And he's like, yeah, but there's no speed limit. And at this point, like, I'm good till I'm not good. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm not good, right? (laughs) At this point, I'm like, I'm the speed limit. I'm the speed limit. Slow the (laughs) down when you go down my driveway, okay? You're putting up dust all over the place so pretty please don't speed down my driveway i'm speed limit and he like throws my package in the back of the van and like stomps on the accelerator and peels out and slings gravel all over my truck i came in and told my wife because i was taking the girls i literally was putting the car seats back in is what it was i was putting the car seats back in my truck because i went to wichita last week to paint my house a whole nother story you want to hear that story real quick so i got two quotes I bought this house in Wichita. I got two quotes to paint the inside. The first quote was $12,000. And by the way, not painting the kitchen, not painting the downstairs bathroom, pretty much a living room, a dining room, a hallway, a bedroom downstairs, and then um, the staircase and, and bedrooms upstairs. Not that much, right? $12,000. Guys, guys smoking crack rocks. $12,000. Second quote, $16,000. And both of them are magically round numbers, by the way. $16,000. I'm like, oh my God, these guys are crazy. Dude, I'll come paint a room for you for $16,000. Ah, so I was like, I told Aiden, <laughs> dude, get a dog sitter. Me and you are going to go up there. We're going to knock it out. I was like, might take four days, might take five days, might take six days. I don't know. Get a cot, get a sleeping bag. We're going up there. So I go up there. I've got it done in four days, but it was like 70 hours in four days. It's pretty crazy. But anyways, got it done. So I, I had to take the car seats out to go up there to load all the stuff in. And, uh, you know, I changed light outlet or light fixtures. And, uh, I just had a bunch of stuff when I was there, but then I get back and I'm going to take the girls to the movies. And, uh, so I was putting the car seats in and 
you know. So when I go back in, I tell Aaron, she's like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, about beat the crap out of this Amazon delivery driver. But I was like, hey, girls, you ready to go to the movies? Hop in the truck. <laughs> wow. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't have a day like that, buddy. Uh, no, I was just I was at the shop um, casting some SEC. Again, I'm pretty pumped about those three millimeter um, HD anacrack fibers. How's those? How are so those working out for you? I've been, so far, they're doing great. Um, now, I haven't put anything through testing, so the only thing I can be is subjective about it, and that is they're very stealth. They go in easily. They're not changing my mix consistency, um, you know, and then taking it for what they should be doing. I've been putting in a quarter percent. So quarter percent, I don't know what that rounds out to. What is that, 50 grams a bag, something like that, of Maker Mix. So I've been putting those with everything. I just got done uh, day for yesterday, tooling some, and today was SCC with with the PVA 400s. I'm going to do another one with the um, glass. Anyway, again, I'm just looking to see, you know, where are the limits of these things in their usefulness. But at the moment, I I can tell you just verbally and subjective information, I'm going to start putting a quarter percent in everything I do. Awesome. I mean, they, they're, yeah, they're trialing out beautifully. Um, they're not changing mix consistencies at all. I mean, it's uh, certainly nothing that I've noticed. And I would think after all this time, I would know pretty quick if something thickened up on me. But um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about them. Pretty awesome. awesome. Again, awesome, it's, it's awesome. one of those, like, I think we talked over the last lake, like, how did I not see these? <laughs> yeah, I've never <laughs> heard of them. Where have these been? In 20 years, yeah. I've never heard of them. But, uh, yeah. Nope. I'm not the arbiter of the all things. So. Right. There you go. The only ones I've ever used was the half inch. Um, yeah, which to me were a pain in the butt. But these, these are, I don't know, they're pretty cool. Pretty cool. So a couple other things. First of all, I've been reaching out to Kodiak Pro customers for the last uh, two, three weeks, four weeks, and collecting data from them on things they want to see us do, things they want to see us carry, that kind of stuff. And just so you know, we're listening. We're listening. We're we're yeah. researching. We're talking to different uh, you know product manufacturers, and we're listening. So don't think that we don't hear what you're asking for. We do hear it, and we're working on it. The next thing is we have set the date for the concrete hoedown in the hauler at Dusty Baker shop. It's going to be October 14th and 15th, October 14th and 15th. So set those dates, put those in your calendar. You're going to be there. Everybody's saying, oh, I can't go because of hunting. I get it. I get it. I talked to Dusty. I'm like, is there anything you can do? Because he had stuff going on. Is there anything you can do to bump it up? Because a lot of these guys have hunting trips scheduled. So we moved it up a few weeks, and so that should miss everybody's hunting trip so you can attend. Um, so yeah, we're gonna don't get, have any excuses now. No excuses. No excuses. No excuses. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to know if you're like, well, but, but uh, you know, it's a Wednesday, and I got to uh, – Wednesdays are yeah. my special days. Then we'll know you yeah. actually want to come, and that's okay. I mean, not everybody has to come, but we want yeah, you to come. Right. We want you to be there. Uh, but I will be building the page for that in the next couple days over the weekend, probably. So look for the page to register for the concrete hoedown and the holler again, October 14th and 15th. And we'll have that page on Kodiak pro. So that sign up will be on Kodiak pro and, uh, and I'll, I'll send a email blast or 
Facebook, you know. Yeah, we'll get it out. Instagram, we'll get blah, it on blah, blah. the uh, the various pages. Yeah, let everybody know. And so, what do you got, John? Well, those the diamond pads I've been working on for a while now. I got a small order of them in. We through the what? You, and we're not quite into production yet, but. Anyway, they look amazing. I've used some. They're amazing. I just put a post, again, on anybody want, Kodiak Pro and ICT page. Put your name in. I have enough for four people, so I'm going to put everybody's name in a hat and pull a lottery to give them to people. I got them in a 50 grit. I'll explain that here in a second. A 50 grit, a 60 grit, a 120, and a 200. And this is how that came about. The first ones I had to make were 60 grit. They worked great. But knowing John Schuler as long as I have, I came back and said, hey, is it possible based on this configuration of the diamonds and the resin you know, that we're putting it in, is it at all possible to have anything more aggressive, let's say like a 30? And I'm just gonna tell you, not because I thought I needed it, I just thought, well, how cool would that be? So they did put together something. They're calling it a 50, but according to their diamond guy who I spoke with, he goes, John, I think it's more like a 30, maybe a 35. So my thought process is to those people, when we get their feedback, if we like the 50s, we're just going to go with the 50s and leave the 60s out. If we don't see a value to the 50s because the 60s are pretty awesome, then we're just going to roll through uh, 60s, 120s, and 200s. And we can do higher grits, 400 and so forth. Just at the moment, I didn't. I just didn't want to run those until we really get answers from people. So yeah. that's where we're at. And I'm actually going to be using them next week on a restoration project, full restoration on a project. I think I talked about it here a few podcasts ago, but a horrible, horrible example of countertops. <laughs> around uh, near my home and I'm going to go in there and cut them all down and reseal. And uh, it's more of a restoration. So hmm. I might not... even do a live. Might might try doing a live. Yeah, we'll do a live. We're doing live. We'll do it live. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll blow up the diamonds. What does that say? I can't read it. Who knows? What does it say? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to take off your microphone and throw it. Yeah. Yes, yes. So anybody interested, you know, go on those two pages, the Kodiak ICT, put your name in. Um, I will put your name in the hat, if you will. And I'm going to pull a lottery for four people, four people to get the set. So 50 is 60, 120 and 200. Just be aware. It needs to be somebody who has a Festool Rotex or comparable. Um, and it needs to be six inch. So that's what these are for. I think that was a miscommunication with somebody too. These are not your conventional diamond pads. I'd say definitely Festool Rotex, a six inch Festool Rotex is mandatory, mainly because we just want to make sure that they're extracting really well. So if somebody doesn't have something with right. that hole pattern, we wouldn't get good feedback as far oh, as extraction. So if you're like, oh, I got a, I got a, you know, a Merca, whatever, and it's got a different hole pattern. Well, that doesn't really tell us how well these are extracting. So mm, you're right. Requirement. I didn't think about that. You so have that, to have that, I guess there's the caveat. The caveat is in the history, uh, that's what I use is my Festool Rotex. And the only diamond pads I've ever had available were, I'm going to call them the cheap knockoff Chinese ones that had like, I don't know, six holes in them or something. And, you know, Buddy Rhodes carried them. Some other people carried them. 
they didn't work great. They got dust on them. They got scratches. So I got together with a company with the proper hole pattern that goes on a Festool backer and, and some very aggressive pads that I am excited about. I'm excited about them too. When we finally get a production run, I'm going to get some for myself. Looking forward to it. There you go. There you go. Me too. Actually, I was a little bummed to, to put it in this first order because it, it had to be limited um, based on <laughs> what they could actually produce. Yeah. So, but that's all right. I can't wait to get them into some guy's hands. And so again, uh, put your name in the hat, guys. Um, I'll probably pull Sunday, I think. I'll try to get them shipped out on Monday. Sooner the better is my point, because I would really like to put in an order for these. Anything else exciting? Kind of in shifting gears to moving mode and remodeling mode. I'm going to be ripping out the kitchen of that house in its entirety probably in a week or two, as soon as cabinets show up. Where are these cabinets? I got to assemble them here, and then I got to put them in a trailer and drive up to Wichita, and I got to completely gut that whole kitchen. It's a 110-year-old house, so who knows what I'm going to find in there? Maybe a dead right. body. I don't know. Gut that whole thing out. You know what I hope? I hope you find, like, back when, when they used to, like, put an old newspaper or oh, something 100%. in the wall. Yeah. A yeah, bottle of whiskey. On. Something cool like that. Dude, that's what yeah, I right? should do. I, I just thought of that. I should take a bottle of whiskey and put it in the wall when I close the wall back up. 100%. There you go. And a little handwritten note saying, Seriously. This is when I put this in the wall. I hope that when you read this, you know, that it's 100 years from now and you guys will enjoy this whiskey and think about us right. putting this kitchen in 100 years prior. Uh, I'll totally do that. Yeah, I'll thousand cool percent do that? that. Yeah. A little time capsule in there. But yeah, I could do that. But uh, me and you today are going to be doing an interview with Vincent Cathcart, VC Studios. Yeah. He's in um, Pew, Puyallup? Pew, Pew, Puyallup? I don't know how to say Puyallup. Yeah, don't even get me. He's up in yeah, Washington State. He's close to Tacoma. Uh, but he's been doing concrete for a long time. I've known Vincent. I say I know him. I mean, like this industry, you meet people, you have conversations. Um, there's just, you're always in passing. And so I don't know him mm -hmm. like a close friend, but I've had several conversations with Vincent over the years. I want to say for at least... 14, 15 years now, I've, I've, you know, had a conversation occasionally with Vincent. So I'm excited to talk to him, see where he's at. I've heard yeah. that he's used Kodiak Pro. You sent me a photo of some, some pieces that he cast using Trinic and using his own mix and using Maker Mix and the differences in right. air entrainment. And it's, you know, night and day difference. You can see it in the mixes. So we'll talk to Vincent about that. Yeah, I've, been, I've enjoyed conversations. Yeah, I've enjoyed conversations with him over the years. You know, we've talked about mixes. Um, he very much so. I, I, I kind of look at him similar to me. No formal background in, you know, like he didn't follow cement chemistries, but working with the material and gaining experience with various materials over the years has, you know, morphed him. So along with some of the guys, not quite to the degree like I do with Joe Bates, Vincent has one, been one of those guys over the years that I might call up and just say, hey, what do you think about this? And mm -hmm. he'd be like, oh, I don't know, John. <laughs> you know? So yeah, so Vincent's great. He yeah. does a lot of sculpture and stuff too, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And before the podcast today, I went to his website just to see it because, you know, you, you, I'm not saying, I, I just, I don't stay in touch really with what everybody's doing. That's part of my whole thing too, is don't look at what other people are doing because I don't want it to rub off on what I'm doing. I don't want to like have any design DNA to implant. Like if you had 
something. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then it like implants deep in my brain. And then two years later, I think, oh, I should do this because I saw it from that. So I yeah. try not to do that. But I went to his website. He has a really good website. But I looked through his uh, portfolio and yeah, he's doing like very much what I do, kind of more of a, a smooth cream GFRC aesthetic. He's not doing a dusty creed or a deep grind or a hand shroud. Although I know he does try. He's got, made these like really custom trials in the past or had them made. But uh, on his website, his portfolio is all very like clean, modern looks, which, you know, I always like. So yeah, it's going to be a good conversation. I'm looking forward to talking to him. Do you want to get him on the phone? Absolutely. Let's give him a call. Okay. How's it going, Vince? Hey, Vince. Doing really good. So you've been in business for quite a few years. Tell us how you got into concrete. It was just kind of a progression. In the late 90s, I got into doing European plaster work and decorative finishes, and I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And then I think it was 2000, somebody asked me if I could stain their concrete floor. I said, yeah, of course I can do that. And then I had to figure out real quick how to do it. And it kind of evolved from there around 2003. I was looking at some kind of uh, way to cast. I wanted to get back to some artsy type of stuff and I didn't have a foundry around. I thought sculpture would be fun. And I ended up taking a a concrete countertop class from, uh, what was his name? Doug Bannister. You remember Doug Bannister? I do. I do remember it's... Doug Bannister. I've talked to him quite a bit, the stamp store. Yeah. 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 And way back then, he was uh, he was repping Encounter, which was a pretty good bag mix. I mean, back then we were excited because I think it got somewhere around like 88 or 8,900 PSI total right. strength. And We've talked uh, about him. Remember his pictures? Weren't you saying? We, yeah, he used to like hold, yeah, like hold the two bags mustache. and he had like chicks and bikinis next to him and he had like a milk mustache. None of it made any sense, but it was intriguing nonetheless. <laughs> I don't know if you remember those, but those are like in Concrete Decor magazine, these ads that were just totally bizarre. But right. yeah. Yeah, he, he was an interesting guy. He was super nice. Uh, and we went way out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I've, I've lived around this area all my life in, in Western Washington. We drove way out to a place called Milton Freewater, Oregon, which is south of Walla Walla. Like there's there's nothing out there but this this uh, concrete supply house and uh, took a class way out there. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> How'd you get into concrete? <laughs> yeah, that that was the start of it. Okay, and of course back then uh, everybody's like putting epoxy. You know, it's like skipper's table everywhere, and you're mixing in a drum mixer, and it was hard. It was just getting a bit ridiculous, and I. Since I had a lot of uh, general contractor clients and they found out, oh, you can do countertops. Well, I ended up doing several countertops and like some high-end townhouses and, and homes and whatnot. And must have been around, got married to my wife in 06. I had a project going then. It was just miserable. I was like, I, I am so done with this. By by 2007, I was trying to figure out how I could just sell my mixer and be done. And that was when uh, I met Brandon down at, uh, did they call it the Concrete Decor Show back then, way back when? Well, it wasn't Concrete Decor. The I think it was called the Countertop Conference. Yeah, it was um, Concrete Countertop Institute put it on, the one in Sacramento, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was Jeff and Lane that yeah. were putting that on back then. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, 
John and I met briefly there, but we just never really connected way back then. But I remember talking to you, Brandon, for quite a while, and then we ran into each other again, like at the World of Concrete at Buddy's Booth and whatnot. And I came down, God, was it? Must have been 09 just shortly after that and took like a one-day primer course on GFRC from you at uh, Buddy's Shop in San Francisco. I remember that. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Yeah, quite a while. And, and you know, that's how it started. And I was like, hold on a second. Three-dimensional shapes. I don't have to use that stupid uh, drum mixer. Um, learned a little bit about scratch mixes. It, it just started to evolve where I quit doing... I quit doing finishes and flooring and the casting just started to take over. And I realized very quickly because with the other work that I'd done, all I needed was a truck and some space in the garage to store stuff. And when I first started casting in the garage, my poor wife, my God, uh, thank God she was, she was patient with me back then. Cause you know, it's too dirty to do in your garage. If you got a man door connecting to your house. Yeah. And I realized very quickly that if I was going to continue to do this, I better get a shop space. And I think I got my first shop space then right about 2009. Didn't last too long before I moved to a different one. Uh, I just haven't looked back. I mean, it's, it's just been concrete just took over. And the only hiccup was probably around when the economy was crashing right, right around that time. Uh, 2010 was pretty scary. And once we got past that, I've just been busy ever since. Concrete sinks and countertops. I mean, how long has that kind of been your primary focus? Like, has that been, you know, the last, was that seven, eight years now? Well, I, I, started, I started drawing up designs for sinks before I even knew how to do GFRC. And so once I figured out, oh, that's how you do it, I started casting sinks when I was still in my garage in my house. Um, so that's really been right from the start. And I quickly realized as time went on that I did not want to be doing countertops. Um, I see some of the guys right now, they're turning out beautiful pieces, big giant islands, and they just, uh, I just don't want to do this giant <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Do you see Dusty's latest post? It was like a 18 foot by 12 foot island, three inches thick. Good Lord. Yeah. Or maybe yeah, even bigger than that. Maybe that's just massive. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. My stress level, just looking at that drawing, my cortisol spiked yeah. just seeing the drawing. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Way too scary. I, I've got somebody right now that I, I need to call them and uh, touch base with them. But one of the pieces in this home is a 12 foot two by 54 inch island with waterfall legs on both ends. And then a big like live edge piece of wood that runs about two feet along the top of it. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, my God, I really don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Triple your price. No. And if he says yes, then it's worth it. And if he says no, then, you know, he didn't lose anything. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I might, I might be looking at Josh's King's card if that one comes along. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I've done that. I've, uh, you know, I don't normally, normally my price is my price is my price is my price. I really believe that integrity and pricing is important, but sometimes there's projects that are just so sketchy as far as scale, uh, transport, even flipping it in your shop. I say, screw it. I'm yeah. going to double it. Yeah. yeah. They're just the risk involved. It's just high risk. So at that point, I'll, I'll double the price, maybe even triple it. And uh, I've had a few say yes. And you're like, oh, like, uh, 
I'm excited because <laughs> it's profitable, but I'm not looking forward to doing it. Yeah, I know what I, I would have to double it just to begin with because anybody knows that if I don't find something now, in this case, we're talking about 12 feet. So if I don't find something in a 12 feet foot span, meaning I got to, you know, somehow bring two pieces together and seam it and, you know, do all that. You already know that seam's going to look atrocious the first time you do it. So right off the bat, I got to double my price knowing full well, the first one's probably going to be trashed. That would be my thought process anyway. Crickets. But not Vincent. <laughs> but not Vincent. <laughs> See how he went quiet there? He's like, you guys are pansies. Uh-huh. I got it. What, what, what has been your biggest challenges as far as doing precast concrete? You know, I'd say a lot of it is working by myself most of the time. And I'm just not as young as I used to be or as strong. And it wears me out a bit more running the, uh, the business side of things and keeping the paperwork going and picking up the materials. I'm looking forward to uh, really cutting open a bag and pouring it in and not sourcing every little bit of uh, product that I need. Um, I've tried different helpers throughout the years. And I think one of the hardest things is to find somebody that's really interested because what we're doing is so odd. It's so different. And it takes such attention to detail that somebody truly has to want to do this. If they're just there to pick up a paycheck, they're a liability. Yeah. So true. So, uh, so true. Yeah. yeah we talked about that. Yeah. So like you've talked about, Brandon, uh, you're happier sometimes just working in your shop by yourself. You turn on the tunes, whether you got noise canceling headphones on or you just listen to the the speakers. Um, it's not so bad. I enjoy working in the shop. That's good. Um, I've been around this area long enough and have enough connections that uh, I haven't had to worry about. I'm very fortunate to have so many clients that I can't do all the work. And I've had people ask me, like when uh, I went down to um, Joe Bates' place last June when John was down there, and a couple of the guys go, hey, man, uh, how you doing now that Cody Carpenter's moved in across the valley from you? And I said, I'm doing fantastic. It's, it was a really good thing that he did because he, he does good, high-quality work, and his prices are so high that I'd, I'd go bid something and go, oh, wow, you're so much better priced, and be like, oh, time to raise my prices again. So it, it's worked out all right. I mean, I'd say there's probably only about maybe a half dozen of us in western Washington that are doing high-level concrete work. So there's tons of work. Well, I've watched a lot of your stuff. It seems like you've been doing quite a bit of sculptural. I mean, is that is that something? How did you fall into that? I mean, it, over the years that I've talked to you, you've talked about some, you know, pretty big exterior pieces. I think one you even referred to as a whale or, or something. I can't remember. But you, you've been doing quite a bit of that. What got you into that? You know, interesting thing. I don't even know how they originally contacted me. But there's a Japanese ceramic artist who somehow she, she was living here with her husband in Tacoma and she had a contract with the city of Tacoma to do these sculptures. But of course, she just does little little clay pieces and she needed these to be like six feet long. They kind of looked like uh, bollards or like, you know what you tie up your your boat to on the dock, but kind of Japanese anime looking. And that was, God, that was probably like 
think I made them like eight or nine years ago. So she would have contacted me before that. And that was a real difficult mold to make undercuts, reverse, reverse undercuts opposing to each other, a couple piece mold with pieces that pulled out. It was a bit of a challenge, but they turned out good. And so we kept that mold and did a few more over the years. And then my name got passed around in the municipal area with the with the cities and state. And another architect from uh, Portland had another design he wanted to do with these benches for this uh, for a rejuvenation project project in part of Tacoma. And so they brought me the drawings, showed it. We talked about it, got some stuff CNC'd and got that project going. And then the the first gal came back to me. She got a, a contract with uh, Sound Transit, which was our local transit authority. And there were originally there were going to be 18 pieces. It got backed off to 13, but uh, a bunch of pieces that will be placed at um, one of the Sound Transit stations up by Microsoft. And they're a little funky and they're a little big. They're getting bigger. Some of them were only about maybe 350 to 450 pounds. And some that are coming up are going to be probably more like 1,300 to 1,800 pounds. Wow. And it, so it's just been kind of word of mouth. And I just got contacted by another one. They're doing an artistic bench and it won't be sculpting. Um, yeah. And, and the whales, that, that was a fun project. I wish I'd had those uh, bendable multi trials back then. They wanted life-size orca whale fins. And even though I've lived here all my life, I had to do a little research and didn't realize that the male orca fin can be over six feet tall. And so when I cast this thing, I should have done it on the floor. It was on top of one of my um, casting tables. I'm standing on a milk crate, and I could barely reach the top of the <laughs> stupid fin I'm I'm six one. I got a pretty good reach, and I I could barely get to it. And then trying to lift it with a gantry crane was a bit of a trick too. Nice. I remember seeing those trowels you made, or you had made, that you could adjust the uh, contour. You had like three screws or whatever bolts you could maneuver them up and down. Correct. Yeah, I didn't make those. I I found them. I those guys were actually on a Kickstarter program. They're from Canada, and was it Innova Tools? Fantastic trowels. They've got. They got the pool shape that's totally round. They've got square edge and they've got uh, like a rectangle shape with rounded edges. And you can manipulate them to go convex, concave, or even both, like a ripple. Super hmm. cool. If you do any odd troweling like that, they're a, they're a must. One of the things I was just going to throw out there talking to you for so long is as I'm, I was literally li listening to your history here. So then I was thinking, per our conversations, I've considered you a, a bit of a mixed connoisseur. So you've been blending your own for a while and, and touching various things. So I'll just put it out there. You know, you've, you've been working some with the Kodiak materials. Where are you seeing these things bridge any gaps? Well... We were just talking yesterday about the particles and the size and all the small things that you've put in there. And you've managed to get a mix in a bag. And again, being able to blend that up mechanically and get it all bagged makes something that it's really impossible to compete with on a scratch mix. 
you're just not going to add that many ingredients and you're not going to be able to get them blended the same as what you're doing in that bag. Um, the particle packing is insane. It also Agreed. accelerated things insanely fast and yeah, made it. That's what I fast. found funny talking to you yesterday. Yeah. It's how fast you weren't, I wouldn't say you weren't prepared for that, but that was interesting. Yeah. Well, when I, uh, when I poured that SCC with a maker's mix, um, I had probably at least half ice, but it was warm. It was really warm. And I think by the time it came to start, uh, when I finished the batch, it was probably around 55 degrees. And I still, I would have liked it to be a little bit colder because you still had the, like we talked about, the, the temperature of the form to overcome. Right. It poured beautifully and the big bucket stayed pretty good, but the temperature does start to rise quickly once you get into that form and it starts sucking the heat out of all the materials of the form. But I got it to rise up. It, it did. It poured just beautifully. But I started seeing it starting to thicken as I had all my small molds that are around there. The passive phone amps, the, the knockbox. I had another sample with the, um, like the Starfield uh, with the acrylic dowels. Uh, yeah. I was starting to have to kind of pack it in. And I, I was focused on wanting to get my concrete just right. I, I set my muck bucket aside. That stuff kicked off while I had my back turned. I just, the muck bucket's going to the dump. <laughs> I've done that. Believe me, not, not so much, you know, I have about on average, uh, 50, probably 50 minutes of working time, but sometimes like when I have a form failure, which happens, you get so sidetracked, you know, trying to get everything cleaned up that, uh, I'm just throwing it in a muck bucket and I'm like, screw it. I know it's going to be, you know, a goner. It is what it is. 30 bucks down the drain. Uh, so this, you know, you've, you've made your own mix. You've used other mixes in the past, Forton mixes, uh, Blendhouse, Tranic probably, different mixes. What my, my question to you is, what is the difference physically, visually, density, quality-wise that you've seen with Maker Mix versus everything you've used in the past? Well, you know, when you get to, uh, to touch stuff, like if you remember, obviously you do, working with like Buddy Rhodes' original mix, it was tactile. Yeah. It, it was fun to work with. It felt good in your hands. I like the way it felt. I like the way the Maker's Mix feels, uh, especially I'm looking forward to uh, being able to work this into some of the sculpture work that I've got going on because of all the fines that are in there. Uh, if you pick up, like, say, the 50-50 mix of an unknown um, bag seller around here, that's one that I just finished using up a pallet on this. They're using basically like a 30... 30 mesh uh, Q rock silica sand. It's so grainy and thick, and they've got to be putting plasticizer in the mix because at 26% water content, the stuff's too sloppy to hold a vertical. Mm. And that can't just be the sands. So John sent me a photo. I think it's from you where it's three, three cubes. They have an interesting knockout on the back with a hole going through it. Is that, is that from you? Yeah, those are the little cube uh, passive phone amps. Gotcha. And so you have one on the left, which I believe was Forton. Is that no? Correct? That's the fifty-fifty mix. Fifty-fifty mix. Um, we're you using an ad mix with that. Yeah, that that's essentially uh, the Trinic bag mix. Gotcha. So the Trinic bag mix. The middle one is is uh, is that your own mix? Yes. And then the right one is uh, Kodiak Pro Maker mix. We might post this photo. 
um, just to show, because it was really interesting to me, and I've experienced the exact same thing, the difference in entrained air in other mixes versus this. And that translates to density and surface quality and pinholes and all the, the uh, work that goes in post-processing how that really shortens it. But it's, this is a very, John told me, he's like, zoom in. I'm like, dude, I don't need to zoom in. I can see it just fine as it is. The difference is. <laughs> I'll zoom in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll need to zoom in. Uh, I can see it. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, as far as air entrainment, it, it goes back to the, the, the tiny, tiny little particles. You, John's got it so tight in there that the, the air just gets pushed out. And even with uh, with my mix, adding the colloidal in there and using a little calcium carbonate too, which is nice and fine, I'm only going up to a 70 mesh sand, so I don't have the crazy little tiny particles in there. And you can see how much difference that made. Like I also posted a picture of a white ramp sink that I just did like last week versus a black ramp sink that I did last month with my own mix. And if you look at the backside, because it's just a picture of both backsides, one is just full of air. I mean, there's just so much air on all the all the horizontals, all the flat areas. And the Maker's Mix one, yeah, it's got some air in there, but it's awfully smooth. And yeah. you know, there's some air that might be trapped like underneath a thin skin of uh, of concrete. But for the most part, you can get up real close and look at it, and so much air has come out of it. Um, and part of it, too, when you're pouring an SCC like that, I think I've heard you mention it before, uh, Brandon, you don't just pour all over the place and have your, your mix come back and meet and trap air. You pour in one spot and let it flow out and push the air in front of it and keep pushing it out. And uh, if you got to do a little bit towards the end when it's almost raised all the way, you can go back and add a little bit like along the front edge. But you don't want to dump here and dump there and dump here and dump there. So... That being said, you go back and look at that post on the on the uh, Kodiak page between the black and the white. And like I said, I like my mix. It's a good mix. It's night and day between how much air comes out of that. Now you move over to the 50-50 bag mix. I, I wouldn't even do a pour like that because there's just too much air in it. Yeah. Well, that's and that's one of the hard, you know, as, as Brian and I have been down this road, also, like I was talking to Vince about this, and when he sent me those pictures, I'm thinking, man, that's been one of the difficulties communicating these differences for people. You know, we've used all kinds of, you know, upgrade your mix, upgrade your business and upgrade. But that's been one of the difficulties is really getting this information out in a way that doesn't sound like two guys blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> You know what I mean? So that's where Vincent, that's where I was going to say, you know, pictures like that, even when you send them to me and I'm like, whoa, gosh, I haven't seen that in so long that I have forgotten how much mix, which most people are used to, quite frankly. Yeah. And it is a really dramatic difference. And you have to consider, too, that uh, when I pour these little molds, most of the time, this is after the main pour has been done. And I'm using what's left over. So it's sitting for a minute. Sometimes it might be starting to firm up just a little bit. Um, I'll have to show you another picture. One of the other amps was like one of the last ones that I cast out of the maker's mix. I was literally like packing the stuff, pushing it down into the mold. 
and then I just gave it a little jiggle and let it set. And I got a, I got a couple of little voids, some decent little uh, air pockets down at the very bottom where it was skinny. But up at that top where I showed you like the backside in these photos, that's a problem spot. That those are flat spots with a with a 90 degree turn that goes down. Air bubbles always get trapped in there, you know, most of the time. And even on that one, the Maker's Mix one came out with a clean a clean backside underneath that horizontal. And if, if somebody doesn't have the experience, they won't realize how dramatic that is to not have all that air still coming up at the end. Absolutely. Yeah. And what that means for the bottom line of your business, if you're not post-processing, I did those uh, breezeway blocks. It was like 1,806, effectively 2,000 by the time we had miscast breezeway blocks that we did. And the way we had to pour it, it there's a lot of complexity with that block. It wasn't our design. It was architect's design. But I had uh, a male key on the top, a female key on the bottom where they interlocked. And then they had a uh, pass-through for an LED light. And it's exposed on both sides. We couldn't pour from the front or the back. We had to pour. The only way we could pour is from a side. That's the only way to pour them. You can pour them from the bottom because there's a key. You can pour them from the top because there's a key. So only pour them from the side. That's the only area we could pour them. And by doing that, this was our old mix. This was the old Ultra Seals, white Portland cement, uh, silica sand mix. We got a lot of air trapped on one side of the block because the air would rise and hit the top of the mold and there was no way to get rid of it. We tried sloshing them, we tried vibrating, we tried all kinds of stuff, but it's just the nature of that design, we couldn't get it to come out. And the client asked me, what would it cost? Well, first of all, I sent, in, I sent them the, the first test gas and they're like, we love it. What do we do about these air pockets? I'm like, oh, you don't do anything about those air pockets. Those air pockets are the air pockets. It is what it is. And they said, well, um, is there any way to get rid of them? And I said, you know, based on this design, no. If you got rid of the keys on the top and bottom, yes, I could pour them a different way and we could probably eliminate a lot of that. But they didn't want to do that. So then she asked me, what would it cost for you to fill all these air pockets? And I said, there's not enough money in the world for me to fill all these air pockets. I'm telling you right now, like I will, I'll pass on the job. I'm happy not to do it. No, 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 no. Well, you know, we, we love the air pockets. We're going to leave them. I'm like, okay, because I'm not going to fill those air pockets. So long story short is we made those blocks. We, we did it start to finish like in five weeks. It was crazy, including making the molds, including having the master CNC'd. Uh, we shipped those blocks to a company in California that uncrated the blocks, filled all the air pockets, polished the blocks, polished, polished the slurry. They recreated the blocks. They shipped them to another company that uncreated the blocks, gold leafed the inside of every block, the, the internal cavity, which is two sides, recreated the blocks, and then shipped them to the job site where they were installed. Um, but the point of that is, had Maker Mix or Rad Mix been available back then, had that, be, had that mixed technology been available, that would have been eliminated probably 90, 95%. It would have been a non-issue. But unfortunately, with the mixes we had back then, it was just the nature of the mix. Yeah, I had a project uh, several years ago. I was doing uh, bowls for Starbucks, specifically for their, they were opening these new Tivana stores. So it was a, a pretty good sized bowl, like say like 22 inches across. They'd put like a, a metal wok in there to custom blend tea. So big, huge bowl. Man, the backside was so filled with bubbles. Now, in their case, they, they liked them and they wanted to keep them. But you could probably cast something like that now. You do a nice slow pour after you've let it uh, off-gas a minute. You could pour that with Maker's Mix and get a clean casting. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, these chairs that I cast, I, I had to cast, I, I don't know if you listened to the last podcast, but I forgot one. It's never happened in my life, but uh, I shipped three. They're supposed to ship four, so I had to cast another one. But I just dump those now. I used to pump them. I used to have all these convoluted ways of getting concrete down in the bottom and then filling it up from the bottom so you wouldn't get air trapped as it went down the narrow form. And now they come out so clean, so clean. Not 100%. There's not, I mean, there's like little air pockets here and there on the back. But if you compare it to what it used to be, it used to be the surface of the moon is what it looked like. And now it's yeah. like, oh, here's a little air pocket and there's a little air pocket, which concrete should have an occasional little air pocket. I believe that. I believe that concrete's a natural material, honesty materials. There should be some slight imperfections. Wabi-sabi, the imperfections are beauty. Let the imperfections be. But do your best and let it be. And our best now is night and day difference than our best was a couple of years ago. And the quality we get and what that saves us in time, because most clients don't want that level of air entrainment. You know, Starbucks, luckily, they, they didn't have you fill it. But a lot of clients would if you pop those out and they're like, eh, we don't like that. You know, and then you're going to be slurring it and water polishing it. And it's a big pain in the butt. So if, you, uh, if you're able to save that time, then that saves revenue for your company and you're more profitable at the end of the year. Have you done any board forming with Makers Mix yet? I have not. Well, no, no, no. I was going to say I did a bar with an early iteration of Rad Mix, but it wasn't where we are now. It was a, um, you know, when I do board form, what I do is I go to Lowe's or Home Depot and I get the composite rough wood siding, but it's composite. It's not real. And um, that's what I use. And I get a really nice board formed finish, but I don't have to deal with all the, you know, wood particles and all the crap that goes with it wanting to bond and spraying diesel fuel or Vaseline or whatever release you're using. Just the composite pops right off. But I got, I got a pretty good cast out of it, but it was a very, very, very early iteration of rad mix before, before we got it dialed where it is now. Well, I, my my dear patient wife has been waiting for years to make her a knockbox for our espresso machine, and I hmm. whipped something up um, months ago. Literally, it's probably been eight months ago. I made a little board form knockbox for her. She loved it. She goes, "Oh, that is so cool! I like that." I'm thinking, "Wow, well, I need to make a production mold then. I'm going to yeah. make some more of these. Maybe I'll sell some of them. At least I can, you know, use up my leftover material." I finally did that couple weeks ago so uh, when I cast this last white sink I cast a little uh, board form knockbox too um, there there really aren't you know I normally you get little bug holes because they catch on the grain and granted this isn't yeah. a silicone mold it's clean I mean it's just absolutely clean I think if if you're gonna pour makers mix and you wanted some voids in there don't let it off gas whip it up whip it up with your mixer and then pour it in the hole immediately if you want to get any holes. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I was going to go to. So I was just down at Joe Bates's place, I think two weeks ago, something like that. He's got a huge job doing board form. And again, this is one of those clients, <laughs> Joe, again, good for him. He gets into this stuff, but they had, he had to bring in a specialty wood that was extremely expensive, not just with the inflated prices, which sounds like they're coming down, but inflated prices of material, but then they had took that material to a sandblaster, had all the grain sandblasted to make them, and then he's casting on top of that. But he has a huge board form project. And yeah, I, I'm going to tell you, these things look so clean. 
it was almost ridiculous. All of us were standing around looking at these things, and even Joe's like, yeah, we got to figure out how to get a couple more like voids in them or something because they were so <laughs> clean. It, it was it was a good problem ridiculous. to have. Yeah. It's a good problem to have. We'll spray it with some silicone right. mold release, and there you go. You'll have little air pockets all over yeah, the place. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A splatter yeah. with something. Yeah. Well, the composite, I'm telling you, the composite rough wood siding works phenomenal. And when I say composite, I've used both, like, the, it's like a plastic composite, but I've also just used, like, the hardy board where it's stamped and then it's primed. And that comes out just as clean. If you if you put release on it, it comes out super clean. And it's indistinguishable. I've done actual rough sawn wood board form where I went down to the lumber store and I got it. But I've also used this. And to me, I can't see a difference. And it's a thousand times easier to work with than actual rough sawn. So that's just my experience. But I've done it and it's worked great. Yeah, then you're well, not. We'll find honest. out. I, I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry, Fitz, but I grab, grabbed some of that material and brought it home with me from Joe's because he's, you know, there's one of those like after it's cast, the client just wants all the, <laughs> just wants all the material gone. So I picked up some materials from him and I'm going to cast something with it. We'll see. But uh, I'm excited about it. Well, I like the idea of using something composite like because then you're not stuck. Uh, pulling out all the slivers after the fact. You know, I, I torched a bunch off. I did a board form mantle s several months back and uh, it looked great, but it had it had some good voids in it, which again, with, with that type of look, I like a few voids. They would have probably preferred that it was completely clean, the designer, but slivers, man, I had to, I had to torch them. I had to scrub them. I, I like the idea of using the composite. I was didn't even look at it because I was worried it looked too contrived, like a like a fake finish. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, sometimes when everything's too clean, yeah, then we lose that. I don't know, as we call it, the artifact of the process. Vince, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I'm so happy that you've made the switch to Kodiak, and we look forward to your feedback and and uh, just you know, input on things as we move forward and come out with new products. And I just look forward to, to seeing what you make with it. All right. Well, yeah, thanks. Absolutely. It was good talking with you. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks for jumping on. Good talking to you. Adios, amigos. Adios. Bye.